Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and I'm here with my friend and colleague and co-author, Nancy Saxton Lopez. This is a broadcast that we do once a week, every Thursday, live, and it is then available on a variety of, of media outlets. And so we do this because we want to bring the, the learning that we packaged in our book, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead pet loss groups. We want to bring that information to as broad an audience as we can. And so today we're going to have a conversation that touches on where we left off last week with, with Nancy's very recent loss. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the, the history and the, the hypotheses about the depth of our relationship with animal companions, in particular our dogs. But it really applies to many of our any of the species that we live closely with. And we'll, of course, we'll have a question from one of the listeners as well that we'll respond to. So Nancy, how are you doing? Tell us where things have gone since- You know, you know it's, a, it's a hard adjustment. Um, I think about Molly every day. Of course, I also think about Rosie and I think about Hank and, you know, and all the other ones. Um, we had our uh, funeral or our, our viewing on Tuesday, uh, we went to, you know, I talked about in Abbey Glen, which is up in Sussex County in Northern New Jersey. Um, we've gone there seven times now, which is kind of rough. Well, actually eight because I went with uh, my brother-in-law's uh, dog at one point. Um, but it, it was it was very, very nice, uh, very peaceful. I think, Tan, I sent you a picture. You uh, did, and, and if you... If you feel up to it, maybe put that picture on the Facebook page. Oh, okay. That's a good idea, actually. It was a beautiful picture and very, very peaceful. Very peaceful. And they allow you to, to your your loved one is laid out and it's got a nice little blanket and a little pillow. And I brought lilacs from her, our garden, her garden. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we spent some time and then... Um, we were able to watch her body go into the crematory. They're very, very nice there. They say, you know, it's not on. You'll just see, you know, her body go in. Um, and then, you know, we got her ashes and that was really important for us. Um, so it's a day-to-day -day thing. We reminisce about how she was and how, what we miss. Um, her daddy, Jack here is very upset. He cries a lot. Um, you know, he's uh, Ellie, Ellie, the little Frenchie, never was a, um, involved with the pugs too much. They didn't really have too much to do to do with her. But Jack, Jack's a little upset. So, I mean, we're getting through, you know, it's it's something that you work with every day, you know. Yeah. And the funny did you get it. Did you get a teapot yet? Oh, I did. And I did. The, the interesting thing about this was, and I, this was perfect for her, her nickname was Kitten Tongue because uh, she face she like a little cat, right? Uh -huh. So I got a black cat teapot. So <laughs> she, will, she will be in her black um, teapot, her cat teapot. So I was really happy with that find. You know, so that's nice. And, and you said, you said before we started. I don't know if you just said this that she's now home. She's, she's home. Yeah, home. We yeah. wanted her home, and so now we're thinking we have to get shelving because the piano top is just 
it's not big enough for all of our <laughs> pots, but it's okay. It's, you know, we love them. They're home and that's where they belong. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, anyways, uh, you know, you and I were talking ahead of time and, and there was a question that came through um, yeah. and it has to do with guilt. Um, there was a uh, person who said, I know I could have done something more. Mm-hmm. I missed something. Mm-hmm. He should not have died. And I can't live with myself. And so we go back to the guilt, right? And guilt can take many different forms. For me, I wasn't there when Molly died. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I couldn't be with her at her last moment. I know I couldn't have. She died. But that to me still was upsetting. Um, and that's one form guilt takes. Um, but for this person, you know, we always do have a feeling of guilt after the fact, right? Maybe, maybe I could, should have taken them to the vet. Maybe yeah. I, I didn't pay enough attention to symptoms. Um, maybe I, I left the house. I shouldn't have left the house. And so it's such a hard thing. It's so hard. And, and this feeling of, I can't live, I can't live with it. it, it it's, it's just a story that is part of so many people's experiences. It's just hurt. I mean, it viscerally hurts, hurts. right? It hurts in your gut. It's, and, and, and all you can do is put it out there the way this person did and, and keep going and, and try at least some of the time to focus your energy and your thoughts elsewhere. Not not all the time because you, you no. don't want to deny that you're feeling whatever guilt or or upset of whatever sort, but you 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 gotta just keep going. You gotta just keep going. And so hard. Guilt is so common. It's just such I, a common it, it's common and I think it's probably the hardest emotion around uh grieving. Because, it, you know, especially with uh, euthanasia decisions, um, people don't want to think that they're God and, and take their animal's mm. life. Um, either they, they say, I did it too soon or I, did, I waited too long. You know, there's a lot of agony almost mm-hmm. with the guilt mm-hmm. that people have. Oh, that's um, terrible. But it does take multiple um, types of guilt, um, even from, you know, I shouldn't have gone on vacation, you know, or. Well, that's, that's one that I've had, as I, I mentioned. Yeah. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be going for just a few days to visit friends in Pennsylvania. We live in Massachusetts, as you know, and we're going to have a really wonderful pet care giver here just for a long weekend, but it always makes me anxious. I know. We know that our dogs are okay. They're stable right now. They're, they're both doing very well. One is perfectly healthy and the other one is very stable in her, in her condition with her congestive heart failure. But, um, what, you know, we, 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 we don't do a lot of traveling with them. A lot of us don't with animals or we split, like my husband and I split vacations yeah. because we just, we just are very cautious and careful and, and about who's around our, our animals. And that's understandable. I mean, we've had people come to the group, right. And they say, I haven't gone on a vacation for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because, and, or unless I, I go, but I need to take them with me. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard balance. It's definitely a hard balance. 
So we'll keep checking in with you and we'll keep responding to people's questions because we want the content to be as helpful as it can be for people. And we know there's, there's just, there isn't a lot of space for people to talk about, right. about grief in general and certainly the, the loss of a, of a beloved pet. But we'll move ahead now and I'm just gonna talk a little bit about something that you and I were talking about not too long ago and that is just how powerful the connection with our animals historically mm-hmm. has been and, and in particular with dogs. And, and I, I told you, I think sometime last week I said, you know, I read this, this research that says that dogs actually help to shape human culture, that we co-evolved with the quote unquote wolf dogs who we modern human beings began to watch and partner with. And I was looking at a variety of different articles and they were describing things like, there's a sense that we modern human beings might have outcompeted the Neanderthals because 45,000 years ago when Homo sapiens was coming into Europe, they were practicing this partnership where they had learned that if they, if they tagged along when wolves, were, when wolves were coursing large game, if they followed along, when the game got exhausted, they could then kill it with their spears. And this was something that worked incredibly well because, because the wolves have to kill close up and it's dangerous, and yet they can run for a very long distance. And human beings can kill with a little bit of a distance if they have the skill to throw a spear. And so there's, there's research that says that this is an important hypothesis and that the collaboration was even one that went on over very, very long time. And it's now evident in the digestive tracts of human beings and dogs. So that human beings, as you know, are omnivores. We eat everything, right? And, and dogs are more omnivores than wolves are today. So wolves need mostly whatever they eat from their prey, and they have a much higher protein requirement than dogs do. Dogs have a, a more of an ability to eat all kinds of different things and their digestive tract is more varied, like ours. It's not the very short digestive tract of a pure carnivore. So very, I think it's very, very interesting. And, and also, I've read, I've read uh, theorists who say that we paid attention to wolf pack behavior. So the fact that every all the wolves care for the young, the, the females that are not bred that season care for the young that there's, a, there's a, a, a division of labor. And it's very interesting stuff because it, it, takes, it takes human beings in a way out of the center, like always the, the, the height of power, the, 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 the only brain in the partnership and, and puts us in a place that's probably more realistic when you think about the natural world and the way the natural world functioned a long, long time ago. I just found it, I just find it really fascinating. And, and also this research puts 
the partnership between human beings and dogs or wolf dogs or wolves very early on, much earlier than I think that generally the research is set around 16,000 or 20,000. This research is saying more like 45,000 wow. years ago. So a very, very long time. Human beings have been in our present form for about 200,000 years. So we're not that old when it comes to the, the, the record of, of species, you know? Right. So it's interesting to see that for a huge chunk of that time, we may have been co-evolving. I just find that really fascinating. And, and I also think that it accounts for the depth of connection. Oh, you know? yes. That's exactly right. And that, that goes into the human-animal bond. Yeah. Um, and I did a lot of you know, research about that this, this week. Um, I just, I know about it, obviously, I've been dealing with it, but I wanted to make sure I had some succinct information. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to read the definition because I think it's, I can't do any better than this definition. Mm -hmm. um, the human-animal bond is a mutually beneficial and dynamic relationship between people and animals that is influenced by behaviors that are essential to the health and well-being of both. That's the wolves or the people, right? The emotional, psychological, and physical connections people have with animals and the environment are also incorporated into the definition of the human-animal bond. Animals were so essential to the daily lives of early humans that there is evidence we may not have survived without them. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's an interesting, right? Um, now, the concept um, was started to be articulated by Lorenz and Levinson in the 60s. Um, and so they started to, to do some articles. But the bond, as you talked, right, 45,000, um, the human animal bond has evolved for more than, what, 45,000 years you know, whatever that's and began with working relationships. Now, people couldn't do anything without animals in farming yeah. or hunting yeah. Yeah. or other tasks. I mean, all of the uh, the animals that the horses and, and oxen and that pulled that pulled carriages or or farming equipment. Um, the the dogs that were around for hunting. Um, and so these were tasks that were necessary for day-to-day -day life. And animals served in wartime, you know, World War One, I, I believe. I mean, there was so but what happened in New York City in the 18 around 1866 was that there was a people noticed that the animals were being uh beat and abused. So if a horse was all of a sudden collapsing because that horse has been, you know, carrying people in a carriage all day, then the owner would get off and just beat them. You know, um, they also, you know, had cockfighting back then, dog fighting back then. Oh, still do, right? I mean, still yes. do. Unfortunately. It's illegal, but they do it. Um, and so, or, or they would, they would take pet dogs and hold them for ransom to get money. I mean, it was really kind of crazy. So, um, their laws started to be put into place in New York city, um, around that time. And Henry Berg, his name was, it was kind of a diplomat, um, started, founded the American Associate Society of Prevention of Cruelty of Animals, the oh, SPCA. Okay. Um, and his his 
tomb is in Brooklyn. It's a mausoleum. And it has a sculpture of animals in front of it, which I thought was, I mean, I looked it up today. I'd never seen it. I was like, wow, there's a whole sculpture of animals around. Um, and that was found in 1866. But since then, and by the way, after that, after the, the laws went through for, uh, you know, the protection of animals, later on came child protective laws. So they were the template. The animal laws were the template for children. Yeah. Which I well, think is really, really interesting. It, it is. You know, the, the work that I've done and some of the writing I've done as a therapist has as its foundation the notion of power and and the idea that the least powerful people in the world are are children and and in fact children of color in particular and children in, in families that are that are in poverty and and it, it just goes to show you in a way that there was so little we have had so little consideration for children that we were even protecting animals before them. That's really interesting history, really interesting history. It doesn't, it, it's, it's surprising, but it's not surprising at the same time. Right. And, and I thought that it, when I read that too, uh, some time ago, I was like, wow, that's interesting that they, they actually had laws protecting um, animals, but they had not for children until after right. that, after those were passed for animals. Um, but the Amer uh, American Humane Society was founded in 1877. Uh, the Latham Society, which was a clearinghouse for information on the human-animal bond in 1918, and the Humane Society of the United States in 1954. So it's been since the, you know, these 1860s that there has been continual work on the human-animal bond, protection of animals, um, the Delta Society, which is now Pet Partners, was founded in 1977 by William McCullough, um, who was a vet, Leo Bustad, who was a vet, and Michael McCullough, who's the brother to William, who was a psychiatrist. Um, and they got involved. That was the first really human-animal bond um, research. And they were a clearinghouse for mm -hmm. animal-assisted interventions and whatever else animals could benefit people, people can benefit animals. And the first books, you know, Nyberg's book, Nyberg and Fisher was was written in 1983. So it's really pretty current. Some of this yeah. work has been done. Well, you think about how people have been experimenting on animals for a very long time. And in fact, there have been some the history of experimentation on animals and testing is horrific, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, all, all the cosmetic industry was... Cosmetic industry, medical industry. I mean, the things that the the things that have been tried out, quotation marks, tried out on animals historically, often without appropriate anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So to, to, to think that we're evolving toward... A greater respect, and, and I mean, it, it's essential for us to evolve towards greater respect right. exactly. toward all of nature because we're we're destroying it mm -hmm. rapidly, and it's uh, so. That, so, for people who love and are connected to animals, you know, I I always I always have said that it's so important for us for our children to have 
relationships with animals for us to have pets in our children's lives if we're parents i i just feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a fundamentally nurturing part of family life oh, of course and, and you know i we, there's such an important there's such an important connection to all of nature really yes and i just feel like that's something that can't be overstated and we know that that the the connection we have with animals has measurable health benefits right i mean oh, it yes. has, reduces Absolutely. stress it lowers when we pet a dog the our heart rate tends to decrease our blood that's pressure right cholesterol actually goes down which is that was amazing to me but that's what they all goes down. yeah right right so, and i think People who have animals have a 15% benefit over those that don't for cardiac issues. Wow. So I just read that Bayer put that out. Um, but for humans, the benefits are stress reduction, increased healing and independence, improved mood, more physical activity, an immunity boost, social connections, emotional support, and better health. I mean, what, yeah. you know, but for them, they get food, exercise, play, food, and love. They <laughs> <laughs> get love. We all need love. <laughs> but you cannot have a relationship with a human like you can with an animal. It just doesn't. It's, it's, it's different. It's, it's it's different. It's so direct and uncomplicated. I told you that today I was at a llama farm. Ooh, My yeah. husband went to a llama farm, and and I got to interact with some of the lot because you know i'm thinking of uh bringing them into my family and <laughs> they're just beautiful animals you know they are <laughs> absolutely beautiful animals and very interesting like they definitely they always want to sniff you they're sniffing at your face and uh I, it's just i feel like i feel like every time i get to interact with new animals i just learn so much more about about nature and, and really about myself, like what that means to me and how I feel in the presence of, of other earthlings. <laughs> and, uh, well, they're so, they're so simple and they're innocent and they're loving and they're, it's all unconditional, you know? Yeah. They, they, they don't hold grudges. They don't care what you look like. They don't yeah. have an issue with any status. They just want to be with you. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It, she hasn't been. She hasn't been so intrusive this time. But Esme, Esme has been off and on my lap. I've been like trying to push her. She just ran outside. She's she comes in and out of her of her flap, you know. And it's just great to have her here. My new office is actually her her, her domain space as well, and her domain too. And she's been she's been great. She's she's been uh, sleeping in here and. And uh, not not tearing at furniture, so that's really good. Well, that's absolutely. But you know, the, all of this when we talk. I mean, obviously, it makes us smile. It makes us happy when we talk. Of course, because then we, so well, when we lose that, I mean, that's just the oh, other side. That's the yeah, other that's side. It's devastating. It just, it just illustrates the reality that grief is the cost of having loved. I mean, it's just it really does come down to that, and it's. As much as we had the love and the mutual love of our animal friends, we, there's a there's a huge there's a huge hole in our lives when when they when they leave when they die, yeah. and 
Also, it's interesting because I talked to a woman this week who her anim, her dog has not died yet, but it's very ill. And she was, she couldn't deal, we had talked about this in another episode, the anticipatory grieving. Yeah. She could yeah. not deal with what was happening to her because every time she got up, every time she looked, every time she touched and pet and fed her dog, she was like, when is this going to happen? Yeah. And it was, right. it, it was more excruciating. And she even said, you know, this pain, even though she hasn't died yet, is worse than pain that I've had for losing of humans in my life. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, and, also at, at that stage, oftentimes you're doing all sorts of very intimate care. Yes. Giving medications, measuring medications, cutting up pills, giving injections weighing them, moving them, cleaning them up in ways that you didn't have to in earlier years often. And, and so the, this kind of intimacy is extraordinary. But also, there's no pain really like uncertainty, right? I mean, it's, right. It's I mean that's, of, her anxiety was through yeah, the roof. I yeah, mean, the she, uncertainty of when's it going to happen? What's it going to be like? Yeah. Is, it gonna, is she going to be in a lot of distress? When should I be talking to my other family members, friends who I love and respect to figure out if it's time to ease her suffering through euthanasia? Am I talking with the vet about that? What's the vet saying? Do I agree? I mean, all of that. But the, all of that uncertainty is so painful. And, and I, I, I can just imagine. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and I can just imagine also this. You know, as you were describing, she's taking care of her her dog who's at the end of their, I think you said it's a dog who's at the end of their yeah. their life. That It's almost like this. the vision that came to me is this dead friend walking. Like you're, you know your friend is going to be dead soon. And it, it's just so heart-wracking. Yes, you know? it's, it's painful. Yeah. It's painful. And so I did give her the quality of life scale. I did refer her to a veterinarian who comes to the home um you know if that's the, right. in, the case right. that you know euthanasia um but she will talk again but she she just she had to let go of all this angst you know and she loves this dog so much but that the dog has limited time but she doesn't know when i, I wonder if she has respite as well like if if at least for part of every day or every other day she can be apart from the stress right for an for an hour or so some some you know if there's some way that she does that because the chronic stress you know a lot of times i don't know if she's working working from home no she's a, she's an more of a, an older lady i believe she's, I mean, she's in she's, retirement uh, years, uh, yeah. yeah she's in retirement um but i have another client whose cat is in the same situation and so you know, I could you, you when I, I if I see them, if I do FaceTime or if I hear, I just hear their voices. I know that it's it's just they it, it's almost palpable, and they can't they can't tolerate the anxiety. You know, but so they do need some space away. We had talked about that before. Um, I do think for some people though that they're scared to death to even leave them. Yeah, yeah, that's, they're, they're, that's such a catch. That's such a dilemma, right? That's such yeah. a dilemma. And what happens if I leave and he dies? And and oftentimes that's when it will happen. 
Yeah. Right. That's when it'll have it, that's it's so common. I had I had a young woman that I worked with for a while. I think she came to the group and she had she had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think the dog was laying on um um like on on, on the stairs. I mean it was like what do you what do you call it? The stairs come down and there's a there's a, the landing. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And she went she bent down to him and said, you know, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, it's okay. I love you so much, but it's okay that, that you can let go. And she left. And when she came back, he had died. Mm. Yeah. So I have a friend right now who who believes that the, the dog that, that was, that belonged to her parents and now her, her brother who has a, who has a disability is caring for she thinks that maybe the dog is hanging, the dog is very, very sick and elderly, is hanging on for him. Yeah. And yeah, that- they know, right? That he yeah, has- I mean, that's how, that's how tightly connected yeah. we sometimes are. And, and so we don't want to lose each other, but Unfortunately, we also have to, we have to face the facts of nature. Yeah, right? They just don't live long enough. Yeah. You know? So but, again, great, great conversation, Nancy. And any any closing thoughts? Yeah, I um for all of you out there that we hope are being helped by, you know, our conversations, we really would welcome, you know, comments or questions because we want to gear this to what you need. And yeah. so if you would please, you know, let us know if, if you have a topic or you have a specific question, or you just have a comment or something of interest that you want us to address, we would be more than happy to do that. That's great. Thanks for, thanks for stating that. And, and yep, absolutely. Or story, anything that you think it might be useful yeah. for, for us to address. Great talking with you as always, Nancy. Have a good evening. I look forward to talking with you soon. Next week. Bye. Yep. Bye. -bye.